Uh, how are you guys today? Uh, I don't know how I am. I, I don't know how I would have answered that question had Kurt asked. Kurt, how are you today? Uh, I do know one thing about myself, though, is that I'm a worrier. N not a warrior, a worrier. Right? <laughs> like, uh, I, I get concerned about things. Sometimes I get concerned about things as I'm reading and studying the Bible. Like, for instance, uh, there's this verse in Matthew where Jesus says, Kurt, you're not going to heaven. Well, that's, that's how my translation reads. I don't, I don't know exactly how yours reads. Well, actually, I do know how yours reads. It's this. It's what Jesus says in Matthew. He's, uh, he says, I tell you the truth. It's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not saying I'm rich, but I'm saying we are all rich. <laughs> I'm saying it doesn't matter how you feel right now about whether you're rich or poor. You're still rich. There was a time in my life where my wife was taking in laundry. We were doing laundry for other people so we could buy food. And we were rich because we lived in a house and that laundry was being done with fresh water that was just piped right into that house in a machine that did it, right? I mean, that's not normal in the world economy, in the world scheme. We did not feel rich, but we were rich. I already then knew how to read this verse like, okay, that's talking about me. Jesus, was, Jesus was, had just encountered this guy that the Bible calls the, a rich man. A rich man comes up to Jesus and says these things, and this is Jesus' response I'm guessing, I don't know that rich man, but I'm guessing we're richer than the rich man that he was talking to. Sometimes you just got to like slow down a bit and, and think these things through and think, what was the situation? How, what was happening? This rich man, got, Jesus says this to him, it's going to be hard for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> that makes me worried. I hope maybe you're getting worried now. I'm not, I wasn't coming to church to get worried. Well, that's my job. Uh, so then, then we go into Paul. Paul, like, Paul says this kind of thing all the time. Uh, there's this verse that I've shared probably every time I've been here in the last uh, two years because I'm just kind of fascinated by it right now. It's in Galatians 19. And, it, and Paul lists all these things that we do wrong. And then at the end of this whole list of things, some of which you don't do, but some of which you do, he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. And that makes me ponder. It makes me think. It makes me try to figure out, how can I twist those verses so I get in still? Okay, said another way, how am I supposed to read that? How am I supposed to understand that? How am I supposed to interpret that in a, in a way that also is loving and generous of God? What did Jesus and Paul mean when they said, I wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God, or it would be hard for me to enter the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God that they're talking about? So that's the question I'm pondering this morning. And everything I say is somehow tied back to that. Half the things or more that I say, you won't figure out how they're tied. You're going to be like, where is he? Right? Because that's normal. But everything I'm saying is tied back to this question, this one pondering of what did, what did Jesus and Paul mean when they said the kingdom of God? And what did they mean when they said it's going to be hard for you to inherit or, or enter into the kingdom of God? 
All right? That's where we're heading. I'm just laying you down a GPS point, and we'll get back to there. So if you ever get lost, we're heading there. I get angry sometimes at the wind. Like, really angry at the wind of all things. It's a, it's a cyclist thing. All cyclists know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyone who rides their bike knows exactly what I'm talking about. That wind is just annoying if it's coming at you. When, when it's at your back, it's your best friend. When it's coming at you, man, we hate that. There's this thing called Strava that's like the Facebook equivalent for bike riders. Every, every ride I ever take is logged in Strava. Um, you can see every ride I've taken, what my heart rate was, all kinds of geeky, dumb stuff. Uh, recently... Uh, somebody who I won't name their name because they're a staff at Orchard Hill Church named their ride that blankety-blank wind. (laughs) And I laughed. I was like, yeah, right? Right? The wind? And it's so dumb. It's so dumb that we're mad at the wind. I can give you a bunch of reasons why it's dumb. Number one, it's the wind, right? That's one reason. Number two, it's not going to change, right? It's like, Oh, I'm sorry I made you mad. I will back off, (laughs) right? It doesn't care. Like, it doesn't even know that you're mad at it. It doesn't care. And my little brother pointed this one out to me. Kurt, it's actually doing you good because you're out here trying to ride in nature. Nature, right? (laughs) And the wind is part of that. And you would not enjoy any of this if there wasn't wind. Wind makes this happen. So you should be happy about the wind, Yeah, no. You know my wife and I's phrase, who put this nature in my nature? We're always saying that. Like, you know, some parts of nature just aren't as really awesome. But they're all helpful. They're all part of it, right? I'm not going to talk about any of those things. So that was a little bit of a roost. That was a little bit of a misdirect. I list those because you can go home and preach yourself sermons about those. Because you get mad at things all the time. You get mad at people all the time. And that's true of them. They don't care. They're not going to change. And maybe they actually are doing you some good. All right? So that's just a sermon that I didn't teach. All right? (laughs) The one I am going to teach, though, is also about the wind, which is the problem is that I have a faulty reference point. A faulty reference point. Now, I want you to to learn this word. This is a word that comes out of behavioral economics and, and, uh, and behavioral psychology, that we set a reference point for ourselves. And a lot of, not all of, I, I kind of stated uh, absolutely here, but a lot of our happiness is governed based on the gap between reality and the reference point that you set. You set a reference point and you say, this is what I think should be, but this is what is, and it's not right. I'm going to do it the other way around. This is what should be, and this is what is. I mean, there's a gap there. I get angry. I get frustrated. I get anxious. I get sad. A lot, of all, a lot of that is having to do with this gap that it forms between reality and where we set our reference point. And why I keep saying where we set is because that's the thing that's variable. Reality's not variable. But where you set your reference point is extremely variable. There's been so much research on this over the last 70 years. Suddenly, behavioral psychologists and economists are really interested in this idea because they keep studying things that just make no sense. We are completely not rational beings, it turns out. We think we are, we tell ourselves we are, but we just are not. In fact, there was a great study, I love the name of it. It was, sweatshops are bad unless the shoes are cute. 
real academic research. That was an actual paper. It, and it's a paper talking about how your, your, your mind is so flexible in these issues about where you think things should be, where you think reality should be. And, and you're just setting your mind where you want it to be. You could, I could say, if you roll this dice and get a 20, I'm going to give you uh, $1,000. But if you roll it and give you something else, I'm going to give you $100. And you roll it and you get the $100. You're sad. But I could have also told you, you roll the dice and get $100. Or you roll it and get the other number and you get a dollar. You roll it and get the $100. You're happy. Same exact result. Same exact reality. I gave you $100. In one case, you're happy. In one case, you're sad. Reference point problem. Right? That's a reference point problem. My reference point problem on my bike is obvious to me when I think about it. I'm on an expensive bike, wearing expensive clothes, riding down a paved trail that somebody paved for me, drinking fresh water out of a bottle that I can reach. And my other bottle has electrolytes in it, which is like, like right? Of, of, of world history people, if I would come up to the rich man in Jesus today and say, do you have electrolytes in your bottle, by the way? My what? Right? So... All these things, like a hundred things are in my favor, and I'm mad at the wind, right? That's a reference point problem, big time, okay? So this is, I want, I, this is some concept that I want you to get in your mind. We have a set point, we have, and we set it all the time. And, and, and our reference points tend to be negative. They just tend to be negative. We tend to put ourselves on the bottom side of these things. We tend to fear losses in a huge way. We fear losses way more than we're encouraged by good things. We tend to set our reference points on the negative. And I think, I think that's fundamental to something that we're going to be exploring. It's fundamental to who we are, fundamental to what we've become, is that we have these reference points set low. Okay, next topic. There's a thought experiment I want you to do. I want you to think about this. Adam and Eve... Before the fall, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, what were they like? What did they do? What was their life like? Right? Today, let's say, let's, we're putting ourselves in the Garden of Eden. We're looking at them. What are they doing? Did they, did they have, what did they eat? Right? Did someone just like bring them something and say, here, eat this? Or did they have to go do something? Did they have sun? Did they have wind to get mad at? Was there dirt? Was there mold? Was there wasps? I have wasps all over my house. Did they like cooked food better than raw food? Did they eat the tops of the strawberries? Ugh, right? Or did someone cut those off for them? What I'm asking you is, did they work? Did they have things to do that were hard? Was there sweat? Was there toil? I think, yeah. I think, yes. I think the Bible supports that. In, in Genesis chapter 1, God says, or it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Okay, stop for a second. Having kids is work. You can't tell me it's not, right? And especially if you're supposed to fill the earth, right? I mean, okay, so there's some not work parts, but there's mostly just work and mostly frustration, okay, my kids aren't here because they're older now, but mostly frustration, mostly like anxiety, mostly like, what is going on here, right? That's what it is to raise kids. And so, okay, so they're supposed to have kids. And then they're supposed to subdue it, subdue the earth. That sounds like a word that's hard. 
How do you subdue the earth? Well, if the earth is just like perfect and just like, there's nothing to subdue, right? They're supposed to subdue. Another place it says, uh, I'm going to give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit in it. They will be yours for food. He didn't say, I'm going to bring you the food. He just said, hey, there's trees out there. Go get it. Right? Right? And it's work. It takes work to go get food off trees. It takes work to dig up plants. Another place it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Okay? We just don't think about this very often, but Adam and Eve were working. They were sweating. They were cold. They built fires. They had bugs that they slapped, I think. I'm not sure. I, I'm not 100% sure on that one. But they did, they did have work. And so, uh, uh, and so what was it like? You ever watch homesteader videos? <laughs> Those guys are nuts, right? That's what it was like. They're the first homesteaders. Totally a lot of work. Okay. Then God says... You can eat out of all those trees that you want, but don't eat from this one tree over here. What kind of tree was it? Apple, right? No, it wasn't. It was no apple tree. It was a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What a weird name. The name of the tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You've heard that phrase, but you don't really think it through very much. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, if you eat from that tree, you are going to die. That's what God said. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. So the serpent comes along real soon after that, and he says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. What's going to happen is your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be able to see the difference between good and evil. That's why it's called the tree of good and evil. I think God and, and the serpent are saying the same thing, right? The serpent's not lying in that case. The serpent's telling them the truth. What's going to happen is you're going to eat this fruit and you're going to be able to see the difference between good and evil. And God is saying, you're going to die. And they're both saying the same thing. And the serpent's right. You're not going to die. You're not going to fall over and stop breathing because they ate it and they didn't, right? But they ate it and they did. They did die. Their eyes were open and they saw the difference between good and evil. And it says, and they ate the fruit and they noticed that they were naked. And they saw that they were naked. I mean, that is profound. They ate the fruit, and their eyes were open, and they saw that they were naked. What does that mean? What does that mean? They saw that they were naked. They were embarrassed? No, it doesn't mean that. It means they, they, they could now see, they could now see what makes me happy, what makes me sad, what injures me, what injures you. I can affect that. You can affect that in me. You can hurt me. I can hurt you. I can see these things now. I can see what makes me happy and me sad and you happy and you sad. And I can see the effect that I can have on it. And I can see the comparison. Sometimes when you're happy, I'm sad. And suddenly I feel completely vulnerable. I feel completely like you could at any time you want hurt me. You just could. You could hurt me, and I can see that, and I know that. And we enter into death. We enter into a state of being where in which we set our reference points to look around and find death and see death and be scared of death. What happens next? What happens next? Cain and Abel. 
What's the story of Cain and Abel? The story is this. Cain brings some food from his, from his uh, harvest, and he brings it to the Lord. Abel brings some fat from his animals, and he brings it to the Lord as a sacrifice. And the Lord looked on the sacrifice of Abel and said it was good, and the Lord looked on the sacrifice of Cain and said it was bad. How did that happen? What happened? What happened? Think it through. What happened? Cain walked up, put down his altar, and then like, and then like a hand stuck out of the clouds and like, right? Is that what happened? How did they know? How did they know that the, that the sacrifice was acceptable and unacceptable? Think like ancient times, ancient wisdom, or think about yourself. When I do these set of actions, and then from that point on, my future is good, God blessed me, right? That's how we think. That's how we, that's how we think. When I do this set of actions, and from that point on, my outcome is bad, God hated me. God didn't like my sacrifice. God didn't think what I did was good, right? We pin that on God. We say that that's God blessing us and, and God punishing us. And can, can you feel the feeling of like, look, look, I'm Cain. I did this thing. I thought I was doing the right thing. And my life turns out bad. And my brother, he does these things and his life turns out good. Anybody have family relationships like that? One sibling is like, doesn't matter what they do, it's all good, right? Midas touch, all those phrases that we have. One sibling, doesn't matter what they do, something's always going wrong. Something's always going wrong. That's exactly, that's, that's the dynamic that we're talking about right here. And, in, and then the scripture's just great. It says, and Cain was angry and his face was downcast. <laughs> Can you feel that, right? That spirit, that is death. That thing where we're comparing ourselves to everybody else, where our reference point is each other, and whether or not things got ahead or behind, that is death. That is the spirit of the kingdom of the air. I mean, I did, I did miss one event that happened in there, which is they got pushed out of Eden. And I think this is key. I think this is key because I, I think what's happening here is we're, we're re- unreferencing ourselves from God, right? We're, we're, we're now non-communication with God. We're, we're not communing with God anymore. We're not locally with God anymore. And so our reference point is not God's reference point anymore. When we were with God, things could be benevolent and good, and we could assume that things were good. We could assume that the work that we were doing was producing good, good fruit, good food, Good health. Soon as we're not in Eden anymore, which again, like think that through. What did that actually mean? Did that mean a place that we were and now we're not in that same place anymore? And now there's actually literal like guys with flaming swords that we haven't found yet because our... No, 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 no. No, it's a spiritual thing. It's a movement of us away from referencing ourselves from God. And it's death. And it's death. So here's my big question. This is, my, this is what I think you could do as sport because I've done it for the last month. Tell me what changed from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3 in Adam and Eve's physical reality. And it, your list might be small. Tell me what changed in, in Adam and Eve's from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3 in their perception of the world. That's where it happened. That's where the action is. Their spirits are now something very different than they were before. Okay, 
That's the lowest point we're going to go. <laughs> now we get to the New Testament, and Jesus, like his, like his bursting out message that he cannot stop saying is what? Is what? Return. Return to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is nearby. The kingdom of God is going to be established on earth. The kingdom of God is not something that you're going to see. It's not a place. It's something that happens inside of you. It's something that happens in your midst. Those were all quotes, by the way. The the kingdom of God is is here. What is he saying? He's saying, "Let's let's think about what that was in Genesis 2 that we lost. Boom, we lost that. We re-referenced ourselves to ourselves, unreferenced ourselves to God. We can return to that. We, that is where we're supposed to be. We should be referencing ourselves to God. We should be thinking that the world is benevolent. The world is good. The world is generous. The world is in our favor. That's what we should be thinking. And it's possible to do. Now, I think the difference between what I just said and just sort of like a psychological sort of, sort of uh, diagnosis on us is that I actually believe there was a missing spirit in that time that, that made it so that we couldn't grasp it. We couldn't, we couldn't really latch on to it. There's been all kinds of traditions of people who, who are getting there, like who are trying these things, but we couldn't really change our spirits back into a spirit that, that references itself on God on an ongoing and regular basis without the Spirit of God inhabiting the space with us, re-edening, if you will. The kingdom of God is this, is, this, is this place, it's this thing in our midst. It's not a place Jesus actually said. It's not a place. It's this thing in our midst, this spirit in our midst that can cause us to 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 think and believe and reference ourselves back to God and back to generosity. So, so you, 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 with this lens on, you look at the um, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is like, you know what? You, you've heard it said, don't kill your brother. Like, what good does that do? I said, don't hate your brother. Why? Because kill is like this external thing that... Hate is this thing that is where the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Hate is that. That's what we lost. That's what we can get back. You've heard it said that you should uh, not divorce your wife without a certificate. I say don't even, don't even hate her. You've heard it said you shouldn't, you shouldn't have an affair. I say don't even lust. Like why are you thinking about people that way? Why is that, why is that how you look at her, look at him? Because you've lost, you've lost your reference point that you used to have in Eden, but it can come back. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's about. It can come back. It should come back. I expect, as Jesus, I expect it to come back. So, what's the good news, Gert, that, that I can actually leave here with? That was kind of an interesting walk around. I think, I think there's positive news in thinking that we actually can make a change that this thing this soup this this business that we're that we seem to be in where we're referencing ourselves to each other where we're constantly on the bottom side of how we're thinking about what's happening is a thing that can change in us and it can change with the awakening of the spirit of god inside of us 
It can change when we, when we re-commune with God, when we get back to an Eden state where we're communing with God on a regular basis, and he can start to, in fact, come inside of our lives and have his spirit become our spirit. Our broken, broken spirit can be healed through his. So I think we can make, this is what I, this is what I, wrote. I think we can make an awakening we can make a permanent and pervasive change in our lives. If we can change our spirit, using God's spirit to make a life-saving, life-renewing change. I hope that helps in some way. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father. It's so hard sometimes to keep ourselves in this spiritual world where we, where we look and we see with eyes of, that you have that, that you are good, that you are benevolent, that you are for us. And then we take our reference point of who we are as being your children and with your loved ones. And we take as what's happening around us as, as, as things that, that you are with us in. And we stop referencing ourselves to each other and he's getting ahead and she's getting ahead and I'm getting behind and I'm afraid and I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm sad. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to hear the words of Jesus who says there is a new kingdom. The kingdom is in your midst. The kingdom is inside of you. The kingdom is a part of you. And that new kingdom is a, is a whole new way of thinking and a whole new way of approaching the world. Help us, Lord. Amen.